This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Shall we begin? <laughs> Expecto Patronum! Tonight, we will achieve what no one has even attempted. We will summon and imprison death. We summon you together! Death has family, desire, destiny, despair. Which one have I got? Dream. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Sharmila and Arvin. And today we're going to be talking about one of the most highly anticipated big adaptation from comic book or graphic novel, call it what you will, to the screen. Um, it's had a kind of troubled run on the way it was supposed to be a film and then it was this and then it languished for a bit. Uh, we are, of course, talking about The Sandman. I think it's fair to declare allegiances from the start. Um, I have been dying for this to hit the screens at some point. I'm a huge, huge fan of the the graphic novels. And so the, uh, whatever I say probably is going to be coloured inevitably by that. I will say I largely enjoyed this very, very much. I thought parts of it were so great. Um For me, the excitement of watching some things that I loved in the comic books come to life on screen was just amazing. And I will start with that and then probably get into the parts I didn't like so much a bit later. Yeah, so I think I'm the the polar opposite of that. I have no, um, I haven't read any Sandman. I know of Sandman, obviously. He's such a huge icon in like nerd culture. Um, Haven't read any of the books. It's very, because there are so many issues and volumes, it is very like daunting for me to get in. So I never started, I procrastinated. Um, I'm just glad it is the way it is, the show. Uh, It's expensive looking. You know, there's a big budget. It's a Netflix production. Um, So there's a level of quality there, right? Um, Because this could have so easily been bad. Um, With Warner and DC, it could have been like a lame CW show. It could have been like a cheap, uh, cheapskate flop. Um, and if they had done this like five, maybe 10, 15 years ago, then we would have had a very, very bad show to watch. Um, so yeah, I'm just happy it is the way it is. But however, um, I will say that it, it isn't the best looking Netflix show. Um, and it has a lot of like pacing and, and tonal issues. But yeah, overall enjoyed season one and expecting a lot for season two. Okay, so I, I I was very hesitant um, about a Sandman adaptation and not because I don't want one or, or think that it would have been difficult. I think I just have a very rocky relationship in general with adaptations. Um, I, I kind of like it when things stand on their on their own terms and, and it's very difficult to do that, especially when it's something like Sandman, which comes with its own fan base. Uh, I've read the, the books through more than once. I you know, Neil Gaiman is a favorite. So that's where I was coming at it from. And I came at it with neutral to high expectations, slightly Sharmila's fault. Uh, she she came in hot, <laughs> said it was good. So I, I thought, all right, we'll, we'll go for it. And I think um, what I will say is that this is a TV series of two halves or three thirds, depending on, on how you want to look at it. And I feel very differently about each half or third. So so that's where I'm coming at it from. There are some things that I like all the way through. Uh, I think that Tom Sturridge is great. Uh, Morpheus was always going to be a very, very difficult person to mm. capture. Um, so he does a great job. 
I love Matthew. Like there are things that I enjoy and there are other things that, that are less so. Um, but suffice to say that that clip kind of lays us up for where we are. I, I don't ever want to be put in the position of having to sum up Sandman because it's, it's a tricky one. But basically, it's, a, it's an epic and very richly mythological telling of the Dream King's imprisonment and subsequent attempts to reclaim his power and then reckon with his role and everybody who walks in and out of that, that story. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, and I guess worth saying that because he's the king of dreams, much of the storyline revolves around our relationship with dreams and the ways in which dreams bleed into reality, right? Um, yeah, I agree with you. For me, the show starts off tremendously strong. Yeah, The first half, I'd say right up till about episode five or six for me were great. And then it kind of tapers off a little bit and I kind of wish it didn't um, because again I think they front load the show quite a bit all the big names are in the first half of the show um, all the big storylines and I mean both literally um, in that you know they're set in these like huge amazing spaces like hell um, and then all the sort of newer actors more down-to-earth storylines happen in the second half and it's inevitable because I think they're merging two issues in this one season so the tone shifts a little bit uh, for me the performances kept me going quite a bit Tom Sturridge as, as Morpheus or the or, or Dream was amazing um, from the very first shot of him I was sold uh, and I think it's just the weirdness of this the kind of storytelling that you're, that they're doing that was really interesting so that is that is um strange right because for me the 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 second half of the show worked a lot better um i i know that the first three four episodes um have like superior quality and they're like good episodes and strong acting strong performances i was more invested from episode six onwards i think so six seven eight nine ten um and i also appreciate that they made this show for the fans or the people who have invested their time and and into the books right because um like i said i haven't read sandman um and so many times and so many scenes i know that it's an easter egg i know they're referring to something i know they're they're hinting at something and I none of it landed for me like I completely didn't get any of it and I was like oh nice so they're making this for the people who know the Sandman um, and have put their time and money into this IP into this character the stories the, the franchise um, I like that it's just a I don't know as as a fellow nerd I like that they made this for the nerds so there are some things that I really enjoy which have to do with that because the I think the worry with comic book adaptations is always that because you already have the blend of visuals and words on a page, right, that you're just going to have this slavish adaptation of, well, well, let's just do the exact thing. We'll get the, the wooden table will be the right height, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff in terms of transposing it onto screen. But what the Sandman does, and if you are somebody who's read the books, you're going to recognize this pretty early. It deviates. It doesn't deviate in huge ways. The, the general story arcs are broadly speaking, very similar, but it deviates in ways that make it interesting or make it make sense. And I think that that helps to resolve some stuff for fans where you're like, oh, wasn't sure how they were going to do that. Or in the books, these two people, it's never explained how they met, but then they've met. Um, in, the, in, the, in the show, I think they make these connections and those connections do actually have emotional resonance. So a number of the changes that they made, they're small but significant, I actually really liked because I think it helped to make the, the connective tissue a lot stronger, which you need for a TV series with seasons, with episodes, with space in between when people watch something and when they come back to it. So uh, that's the stuff I liked. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> Please go on. I, I, I will I will jump in when appropriate. Well, I was going to say I agree with you that I think the what the show does really well is building that connective tissue. Even things like um maybe if you haven't read the larger DC comic books, um, which are outside of Sandman, certain characters may not make sense to you. Uh the, the connections between certain characters. So they kind of do away with all of that and they uh, try and make things as easy as possible to understand. The other thing that really helps is casting these like great actors who with certain characters who on the page may have felt a certain way or maybe um well the characters were never flat but you know you get a little bit of them but now when you cast like this amazing actor in that role like Charles Dance or David Thewlis um they really elevate these roles to a particular level which i very much enjoyed um Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer was amazing um Boyd Holbrook as the Corinthian I think David Thewlis is such an MVP. I he can't was so even. good. Um, and his yeah. character in the comics was not that. No. And yet the show, um, so worth making that kind of shifts, right? And even as a fan, um, I don't expect so much fan service that you can't change anything. These are the kinds of changes I was okay with. I think... Um, I think for me, and it's interesting that you enjoyed the second half of the show, Arvind, because I'm wondering whether it's got to do with what you're attached to in the comics uh, versus what you're not. Ah, interesting. You see, it, it's those kinds of things, right? It's like different people find different things in the show to to enjoy. Um, I think the show has a, a John Carter problem uh, in the sense that, you know, like John Carter inspired so many sci-fi space fantasies. And then by the time the movie came out, everyone was like, oh, why is it copying Star Wars? Or why is it copying Dune? Or, or other sci-fi stories when John Carter was the one that did it first. I think Sandman has that same issue in the sense that Morpheus inspired so many conflicted, brooding, um, emo, white guy protagonists. And then when now you see the live action adaptation, you're like, oh, we've seen this. It has like a been there, done that sort of vibe to it. We've seen like this hero many, many, many times in the past in, in Neil Gaiman's own stories and in other like Netflix shows, the the long black coat, the messy There's hair. even a meme floating around that yeah, kind of mirrors yeah. all of them who look the same. They look exactly the same. They behave exactly the same. They have the same like moral conflict and the same sort of like plot, which isn't fair lah, because, you know, like Sandman probably did it first and it inspired a lot of other protagonists. But it's just um, I think it's a timing issue. It, it, this adaptation happens so late that it's not quote-unquote, fresh anymore. And yet, it probably shouldn't have happened earlier. I mean, there were scripts that were floating around mm. that Neil Gaiman famously hated, but also I think it needed money, to be frank. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't really want to watch a stop-motion version of, of this. <laughs> I don't really want to watch... Maybe animation, I think, would have been good, but there, there are ways... There's a time and place for practical effects, and trying to uh, create a castle in the land of dream is not one of them. So I, I think it needed this period and this technology and frankly the budget. But we're talking today about the Sandman, of which we have mixed feelings, um, both good and bad. Let us know if you've already finished it. It dropped a little while ago. WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Break from monotony. BFM 89.9. Your waking world is shaped by dreams. Dreams and nightmares that I create and which I must control. 
BFM 89.9, you're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Sharmila and Arvin, in which we talk about the OG sad boy, the Sandman, as you heard um, a little bit of there. So, okay, I'm just going to say it. Um, I did not like the second half of the show. I have very strong feelings about it. I... um, I think that the front loading was a problem because it set certain expectations for how the show was going to look and feel. And those kinds of tonal shifts are easier to manage in a comic book where you have volumes and you close a volume, you put it back, you pick up another volume and you're like, okay, now I'm in London, now I'm somewhere else and that's fine. Um, With this one, I think it almost felt as if we might have been better served by a, I recognize this is a first world problem, by a six episode run in which we saw the first six episodes, it's tight, it's done, and that's where the season ends. And the next season, we pick it up at where episode seven begins. Because I think that would have helped to to maybe shape the character arcs a little bit and to have not made some of the things that happen feel so sudden. Um, I think that there was also a big disparity in performance between one and two because a lot of the actors and characters that you met, I I say one and two, I've made it up, but uh, between episodes one to five and six to ten, I think that the disparity in performance is is a little bit strong or too strong for me. No, same same for me. Um, And also because, again, in my head, I recognise that they're actually two distinct stories mashed together. Um, it didn't, the, the the splitting of it, as you said it, I, I, I agree. I think actually six episodes that address the first volume perfect. would it, have been perfect. Um, but then again, then maybe for people like an Armin, yes, I get that, that wouldn't have worked. I don't know. Um, I, I think also because with the second half of the show, you see much less of, of Morpheus and Tom Sturridge is actually a really strong presence in the show. And so Without giving it away, the way season one ends doesn't quite um, earn it to me because that arc of how Morpheus changes and and where he, where the show takes him needs a lot a lot more build up in my opinion. Um, I don't know what they're going to do in season two. Maybe they're going to kind of backpedal or change things a bit. Um, again, for me, yeah, the show definitely tapered off in the second half. So I think I like the second half because the the episodes connect with each other. So there's connective, a strong connective tissue um, and a through line from episode six to ten. Whereas the first five episodes are more um, episodic. It's like you have an arc that starts in episode one, ends by maybe the first half of episode two, and then there's a tiny mini arc. And then three is like a standalone, four is a standalone, five is a standalone, um, that sort of thing. So I like the the, the connectiveness. Um, I also like that they did a lot of um, plot gymnastics to. Set separate themselves from the DC universe. Like you have your 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 Joanna Constantines um, and you have a couple of other characters who are like big names um, in uh, Earth 2, but then they make them completely normal people, you know, like very sneaky. They're just like, oh, nothing to see here. You know, these aren't important characters to look at. You know, we aren't part of the larger universe, but maybe we are, you know, hint, hint sort of thing. So um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I, th- I just thought it was very sneakily done. Hmm. I I keep trying to I, I, I keep trying to imagine what it's like watching this movie, uh, watching this show, uh, without necessarily having baggage. And and I guess, like I said, have said many times, we'll always stand by. This is the problem with adaptations. I, I can't really picture it. Um because at the moment, what has happened is I'm a fan who's simultaneously like very satisfied and very dissatisfied. And it's an uncomfortable feeling to hold because the, the things that I enjoy, I hope they carry forward. I think that some of the production value, I say this advisedly, some of the production value, I hope to see more of in, in season two. Um, there are ways in which characters were played, particularly 
very important supporting characters who spend a lot of time with Dream that I don't really enjoy the way in which that was that was rendered. I, I didn't necessarily think that the tone matches up to not even the character in the books, but the character in the show, if that makes sense. I didn't even like the way that character interacted with Dream necessarily. So it's it's a lot of different small things. I sound like I'm nitpicking. I think I just wish that I had a smooth run. Um, that the feeling that I had up until episode six could have been preserved all the way through and that I could honestly say that I was excited about season two as opposed to worried that it's going to American Gods it. Oh God, don't even bring up season two of American Gods. New Gaiman, man. Because I loved the first season. But then I loved the first season. The second season, they completely dropped the ball. I will say for me, the highs out outweighed the lows. So for instance, um, Kirby Howell Baptiste as Death, uh, Mason Alexander Park as Desire, Matthew being played by, Matthew the Raven being voiced by Patton Oswalt. I mean, these were such high points. Uh, Stephen Fry. Um, so it's just, there were so many things about it I enjoyed that I was willing to overlook the parts that I didn't quite enjoy. So I think it really depends on um, how excited you are to see Sandman on screen. Um, and I'm actually really curious, like beyond an Arvid, who maybe is a little bit more open to like this genre and being willing to go on the ride, whether if you knew nothing about the Sandman, how open the show is for them. So I watched it with somebody who who doesn't know anything about the about the comics and who has no attachment to Neil Gaiman as a creator and, and a writer. And uh, the dream stuff really started to get to him. So it's like, yes, I get it. Dream, dream, dream. <laughs> so on, so forth. Threat to the kingdom, etc. And and I think that um, so the character of Dream is very ponderous and and prone to sulking and monologues in, in general, in the show as well as in the comics. And so when you translate that into even a good performance um, on screen, I think it's always going to be a bit of a challenge, especially if you have, as happened in the comics, other characters perpetually telling each other about the guy who's also really self-obsessed. And so I think, <laughs> I think that that part, um, I know for a fact that for at least one viewer, it didn't work. Can I tell you, like, my lowest point of the show, like, the biggest con, um, is the visuals. Like, from the opening five, ten seconds of the show, you see these the janky CGI and, like, <laughs> 2005 VFX. I was like, ugh, so we're in for one of these things. Um, it's it's kind of jarring lah, to go from uh, Stranger Things Season 4 on the same platform to something like a Sandman on the same platform. Um, my I'm very fussy. Uh, my benchmark for, like, big IP, prestige, quote-unquote TV is, like, way up ever since Game of Thrones came out. So I, I don't... I, I cannot excuse expensive shows for looking the way they do if they don't look good. Like, they have to look good. They have to look cinematic. They have to look like movie, theater-level stuff. And Sandman doesn't look it. Like, I can tell you, there are so many scenes when I'm like, what am I looking at? Like, they pump so much money into this thing, and it's backed by Warner and DC, and it looks honestly like something from 2006, which I didn't appreciate at all. Actually, I think it's even more stark because some scenes look great. Um, So some Mm -hmm. scenes Mm -hmm. look really good, and... When I'm thinking about it now, maybe the more the scenes that are established that they're meant to be sort of these in-between spaces look fine um, and in fact look really quite stunning. And then the ones where they're going for like proper, like, I don't know, a castle or a fantasy or whatever, those look kind of janky. And I don't know why. Like, it doesn't make sense. So I think that it's it's a bit difficult because the mood and... Um the, the mood of the books 
firstly, they were the artists were different, right? They're, like you mentioned earlier, uh, Ivan, there's so many volumes and across the volumes, they were inked, I think, by always the same person, but the, the art was always different. And so in the first place, the book itself has a lot of tonal shifts. And I think that the the show tries to capture that as well. And again, sometimes more successfully than others. The castle is interesting because... Because there is a mood and an aesthetic that is quite specific to to Sandman, right? Like things do look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and if within one scene, something succeeds and something does not, I think that's when the problem yes. is. You're more willing to forgive it within a season, um, even within an episode. But when within one scene, you're like, oh, that looks, oh no. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very strange shift to have to do. I have to say, though, that um, at the risk of of going on and on about Tom Sturridge, his sulky dream is the best. There are scenes where he's just got his coat draped over a long staircase and he's sort of just like grumpy and like pouting. And I'm just like, yep, yep, this is what I never thought they'd be able to capture on screen. And they've somehow managed to. I think the show will go a really long way if they ride on Tom Sturridge. Um, For me, at least, the fact that the episodes that didn't work were the ones where you don't see as much of him uh, is quite telling. Or maybe if they continue getting really great actors to play what are a bunch of really interesting roles. I mean, with, with all the pros and cons, I'm still really looking forward to season two. And I, and I hope it's not too far off. I hope it's not like we have to wait for two and a half years to see the next season. Um, because I would watch it. Uh, the show got me invested enough into the mythology. I'm definitely going to read it. Uh, so when it comes out, I'm 100% going to be like invested, invested in uh, season two. I'll watch it because you guys will ask me to. Um, and, and we will come back and review it. La? Oh my God. Yeah, so that, that's where we are. All right, we've been talking today about The Sandman, uh, season one. Let us know if you've watched it. Did you read the comics? Uh, are you very attached to it? Did you enjoy the show? WhatsApp is 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us, of course, at movies at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.